Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajba'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'ata wa sahla. Wa anta tajul al-hazna idha shi'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everybody. Hayyakumullah, that's working by the way. It's working Shaz, yeah? Although it's all over the place. Uh, right, so folks, today we're going to keep it nice and short and sweet, ta'ala, and ideally we're going to finish off this last kind of remaining section. Um, and I can't remember, was I, record, was I just like translating off the fly kind of thing? Yeah, I was, yeah? So, I don't know how far we'll get, because Sheikh actually, he takes a little bit of a, a, a kind of like a to discuss the concept of being balanced in your opinions. He makes some nice points and I think that might take the, the whole lesson. In any case, the text that we're going to be uh, covering today, um, well, to finish off what we were doing last week, um, is, uh, so whoever finds a gap, so whoever sees a gap, then they must enter it. They must enter it. And if not, then stands to the right of the Imam. And if that's not possible, then he should alert someone to stand with him. Right? And we're, we're in that part right now. And to continue. And so if someone prays by themselves, individually, all right, alone, their prayer is not valid. The prayer is not valid. A raka'ah, meaning a complete unit, which according to the Hanabila is done by reaching the sajda, which we'll come to in a second. وَإِنْ رَكَعَ فَذَّنْ ثُمَّ دَخَلَ فِي الصَّفِ وَقَفَ مَعَهُ آخَرُ قَبْلَ سُجُودِ الْإِمَامِ صَحَّت If a person was to be by himself and go for ruku'ah, right? So he's, by, he's alone, he goes for ruku'a by himself, then enters the line. Or somebody else is able to join him wherever that person is. Before the imam goes for sujood, the prayer is valid. Now this is a confusing line as I said last week and I gave an explanation. I can't remember whether I explained it properly or not. But to make sure that it's completely, completely makes sense, you've got to remember the hadith of Abu Bakr, right? Radiallahu an. The salah is established. The lines are all in place. And there's a walk to the front, a distance. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he enters the masjid. And he sees all of the jama'ah of the Prophet they're in ruku'ah. Yeah? And he doesn't want to miss the raka'ah. And Nabi Sallallahu said, Man adraka ruku'ah, faqad adraka raka'ah. Whoever catches the ruku'ah has caught the raka'ah. So he's thinking, I got to catch this raka'ah. What does he do? He goes straight, Allahu Akbar, into ruku'ah at the door. So in his mind, he's caught the jama'ah. He's not in a great position because there's a big gap in between. So, after being in this uh, position, in the ruku'ah, and knowing that he's caught the uh, salah, he then walks whilst in the ruku'ah and joins the saf that he should be joining. Actually walks in ruku'ah, which is the craziest thing ever. He has now joined the saf. He carries on the prayer. The... Prophet ﷺ, after the salah is finished, he turns around. And this, of course, is one of the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, in that he has the ability to see behind him. Right? Meaning that actually an ability to see behind him. Now, does he have some physiological way that he can see that, or biological way that he can see that? Or is he just being informed by the angels? We don't know. It's, just, it's, not, it's not important. The point is that he knows. Yeah? He's been given that information. And he says to Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he goes, Zadakallahu hirsan, wala ta'ud. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you in your josh, your drive, your love, your ihtimam, your, your hamas, your enthusiasm to catch the jama'ah, to catch the raka'ah, to not be left behind. May Allah increase you in that. But don't do that again. But don't do that again. And I told you this a couple of months ago when we started this chapter that even this hadith is discussed from the scholars that what did the Prophet ﷺ mean, don't do that again, right? Is the don't do that again, don't walk in the ruku'ah? Or is the don't do that again, standing alone in the prayer line? Well, we don't know if he stood alone in the prayer line. We know that he started off alone in a prayer line. But then he joined the uh, prayer line. I mean, there's some discussion, but I mean, we need to keep, we can just keep it simple. It doesn't matter what, what specific part is being referred to. I mean, it matters, but for us, the point is, is that a person needs to get to the line and shouldn't be any doing this kind of, I'll join the, uh, the line here and then, uh, well, I'll join the prayer here and then I'll do it here. Now, with that hadith in play is where you start to get these little nuances. Because the most important fact of this entire thing is that the Prophet ﷺ, what? Finish the sentence. Didn't make him repeat the prayer. Therefore, legally the prayer is acceptable. And so now because the legally the prayer is acceptable, he was criticized for it, don't do it again, but the, the prayer is okay. And if the prayer is okay, then he must have done something that made the prayer valid. What is it that he did? The argument is, is that he was able to join the imam before the entire unit was done. That's the humbly position. The humbly position was, is that he was able to, because he walked whilst in ruku'a, he joined the actual saf, and so therefore he wasn't an individual for any period of time for more than, or uh, for, for, yeah, for more than a raka'ah. You get the point? That's the argument. Then it's going to start getting a bit complicated with the issue of uh, did he have an excuse or not an excuse? But the point is then, what did he say? Uh, the Mu'allif, he said, so if he is to make raka'ah as an individual and then enter the saf a few lines forward, yeah, get in there, or he stays where he is, that's in the brackets, which is not being stated, yeah? Or someone stands with him before the imam goes for sujood, the prayer is okay. When he says that statement, what he's putting in brackets is... He doesn't join the doesn't join the line, stays where he is, you know, back there for whatever reason, and someone else then comes with him. Then the prayer is okay. It's not great, of course. Some will say it's haram. Some will say that he's left the sunnah. I mean, there's 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 a big problem there. There's no doubt because the the Prophet ﷺ said, complete the first line, then the first lines, yani meaning keep completing the lines, keep completing the lines. That's an obligation. So you've got to keep doing that. And so when you don't do that, then you are either khilaf al-sunnah or you are not fulfilling obligation, which is the stronger opinion. But the point is, is that if he has someone with him, then he's not praying alone and it's a pseudo line. Now, I'll give you um, an example. Some of the, the, the scholars were asked this question. Certainly the Hanabila, when they were uh, asked, and Ibn Taymiyyah also commented on this question. The question is, uh, I think we talked talk about it last week as well. If there are two of you that have entered the masjid at the same time and the prayer line looks like it's all full. Actually, no. The prayer line doesn't look like it's full. There's one space. There's a gap for one person. Does the person go and take the place? I told you I'm doing that. If it's me, I'm, t I'm doing that. Why am I doing that? Because I know that the person behind is not in a position of sin because I believe it completely acceptable for a person to pray alone behind the prayer line when there's no other option for them. Whereas, this, as you've seen, the, the humbly position is that a person cannot be doing that. Whatever happens, even to the extent that you should, you know, which is what we're doing right now, call the person back. And there's a discussion then, and as we discussed last week, about is that right, is that, you know, and, and even in the madhab itself, there are opinions, and there, obviously you've got all of the range of opinions within just the school, let alone the other schools. But in the humbly school itself, you've got the opinions of... Yeah, it's disliked. You shouldn't pull someone back. You can tell them, but don't touch them. So they go all the way. The school is pretty much supporting the idea that you've got to come back and help me out here. But they will stop at actually grabbing the person. Right? And 
our position, as we said last week, is that you're not grabbing anyone, you're not telling anyone, you're not obligated to be telling people to do that, they're certainly not obligated to be coming back. They got to their position, they deserve their position, and let's just, you know, peace out, and you just take your position there, you're not to blame, whatever. When are you to blame? When you've left the gap. If there's gaps and you are not filling the line and you're praying alone by yourself, then also our class position is, this prayer is invalid. If a person's intentionally not joining that uh, uh, line, then we've got a real problem on our hands. Now, next week, uh, next week is online, by the way, we're not going to be here on site. Next week, the new section that we're going to be uh, covering for the next one or two weeks is the controversial one about, uh, which is not so controversial here, although it applies really to the sisters and things like that, but more kind of a Makkah situation of when is a person considered to be part of the Jama'ah? Outside of a building, what can come in the way, what can't come in the way, what is understood to be a congregation? And you know, when we, we, we look at this scenario and we, we see the, uh, you know, like our, our lived experience is a clear one. When you're there, you see the, the congregational prayer start, or especially Jum'ah, the shopkeepers will be praying and staying in their, in their little uh, entrances, right? And in the malls and in the parts and whatever. And uh, uh, the irony, you look at that and you're thinking, this is what they do because of the loudspeakers. You can hear it for miles, you could, you know, whatever. And you're thinking that they're following the opinion that the most lenient of them that you're in a congregation as long as you can see anybody else that's praying. So, of course, uh, the madhahib do have differences of opinion of what is considered to be catching the congregation. And there is space amongst the schools. Frankly, in fiqh, you can justify literally anything, right? Um, there, there are some scholars that said that even if you are outside of the masjid and there's a road in between, and they would often talk about a stream and that boats are going up and down, right? And you are on the other side and you can still see something to do with the congregation, you are part of it. So that discussion is there because they're understanding that congregation is a general gathering of people. Whereas the, op the opposite, and I personally, I'm right on the other side, I think a congregation has got to feel like a congregation. I want some enclosure. I want some tightness. I'm okay with there being gaps for reasons or even no reason, right, for the validity of the jama'ah, but it's got to feel like a congregation. And then you've got those in the, in the middle, like Ibn Taymiyyah, who are like, uh, well, if there's a need, then there's no doubt that we can have some flexibility. And the kind of things that he'll be saying is, uh, and I'm saying this now because it's fresh in my mind in case I forget next week, obviously. Uh, in Mecca, it's all very busy and stuff, so I, I kind of forget some of this stuff. But, um, uh, for example, Ibn Taymiyyah said that if we were to be super strict, because all of the, there's no difference of opinion whatsoever when it comes to a congregation if the lines are continued. So if the lines are spilling out and it's all continuous, then, it, then that can go for 10 miles, it's not a problem. The discussion is always about there is no continuity, and you can either see the imam or the musalleen behind the imam for the whole prayer or part of the prayer. All right? So that you feel like there's a, an actual connection. Now, even Ibn Taymiyyah said that as for continuous lines, there's no discussion, everybody agrees. As for broken lines, there's a discussion, and they all want to see the, the, the people. But he said that that shouldn't also be like, you know, the most important thing, because what if the masjid closes its doors, for example, and you're right outside the door? You know what I'm saying? And there's like only a couple of meters difference between you and you can hear absolutely everything, but the door's closed and you can't, you know, the masjid door's closed. Sometimes, you know, like in Juma, uh, uh, when, when a person has to take the place where the door is actually opening, so they actually lock the door, like intentionally so, right? So you've got a little congregation praying there. Is that even, so he's right. If there's a need, we shouldn't make that the most important factor. But it's the nuance, right? Like today, the fatwa uh, that it needs to be given is because if you follow this position that allows all these people, and mostly these kind of middle, upper class, privileged kind of Westerners who take all of these Fairmonts and Conrads and high regencies and whatever in Mecca, and they go to the musallas, the prayer rooms there, which are overlooking the haram complex, might not get a Kaaba view, but certainly enough to be able to see lines of people. And they're like, there you go, I'm part of the Jama'ah. 
I'm part of the congregation. I, I, I feel it. Because we're certainly a little group here. We're praying absolutely in real time behind the imam. And we can physically see the sign. That's why, even though I hate it and I prohibit it for my group of folks and absolutely not allowed, I won't say that the prayer is invalid. Because there are some mujtahideen imams that consider that the prayer is a congregational one as long as you can see signs of the actual asl congregation, which is the continuous lines. Now, I do think that we've got to be very strict upon this because if you start to let go on this, then it's not a million miles off where you start to then follow a TV screen and all of the problems that comes with, with that. You're not a million miles off. Yeah. No, no, and I am careful on that because absolutely you're right, the glass window shouldn't matter at all. Although, although the interesting thing is that, uh, actually the point I was meant to make, I didn't even say, Ibn Taymiyyah, you know, we're thinking this is a normal, a modern thing, you know, like all the shopkeepers that are praying and whatever. So 700 years ago, he mentioned the exact same issue. So there weren't even any loudspeakers then, Right? But the shopkeepers will pray in their doorways Back then So subhanAllah it's happening exactly the same now But even more so because they can hear like The speakers right next to them like you know what I mean Over there they weren't hearing anything They were just seeing Yeah someone From some of the lines So it was a much poorer experience So the irony is is that Now it's far more justified actually Right And in actual fact frankly Frankly, this is the problem. This is the problem, right? Nowadays, all those folks, they're mostly Bengalis and Pakistanis. Yeah, very few Arabs will do this. Yeah, so it's the working class folks. They can't understand the, the khutbah anyway. And they've got their headphones in, listening to the translation anyway. In, in the case of Jum'ah. Yeah, they're listening to the live radio uh, translation of the khutbah kind of thing. So for them, they don't, couldn't care less whether they hear the actual prayer or not. They're being part of it through a different... So the whole situation is not, is not great where we're going. And it throws up these difficult kind of scenarios. And at some point, you've got to say, yeah, I understand there might be a legal basis and we're not going to go out there and say you're invalid, you're invalid, whatever. But it's turning into a farce. And we've got to you know, be able to control the situation, to be able to... Um, to prevent it going to a place where we don't want to, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's not helped by you know crazy kind of theories about of, of crowd control that leave huge gaps everywhere. So that's making it even more difficult for the folks that come you know miles away, right? And it suddenly just becomes the 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 the, the, the want of the privileged who are just in their lofty towers, don't even bother coming down except for prayers that are convenient for them. Chiva. Yeah, so the answer to so the answer to is it about proximity or is it about something else is that it is a complex combination of all of the above. It's a co complex combination of all of the above. There's no doubt that seeing is a is a is an essential part of feeling part of something. If you can't see something, do you feel part of it? Okay. Now, like. You know, in the LP chat at the moment, there's this discussion about sisters' uh, design, right? The, uh, and the Telegram chat. The uh, uh, design of sisters' sections, yeah? Uh, women's section in, in, a, in, a, in a masjid. And the truth, of course, is that we ourselves, as a cultural group of Muslims, pretty much across all the cultures, but certainly was a cultural innovation, was the separation of women from the jama'ah, Yeah? It wasn't like that back in the day. Like the ghira has always been the same. The, 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 the sense of um, possessiveness of men not wanting their women to be out has been there from the day dot. It's not Islamic. That, that's a, a male thing. No male. Male are, males, are, males are possessive over their women. They are their protectors. And they are very, very sensitive to women doing anything. Whether it's going out, working, shopping, anything. And that's a possessive thing. Yeah, that's a, 
uh, I think whatever it's called, a marking area or whatever, you know, they discuss in animal kingdom, territorial and all that kind of business, and you're in my territory and these are the females. So that thing there is a male thing, right? When Islam in its inception comes in, that territorial possessive nature is about not going to the mosque at all. I don't want you going to the mosque, right? Prophet steps in and says, listen, don't prevent them from going to the masjid. But makes it abundantly clear that it's all good for women to be praying at home. Doesn't obligate upon them, but says, listen, that's, that's too far, don't stop. We then took that, the ethnics, in a couple of hundred years after that, and didn't stop them or stop them like hardcore completely, but changed the reality inside the masjid so that they were completely separate. Now, when they were making it completely separate, they were running roughshod over the principles of what a congregation actually is. And so when you see, like, when you look in the books of fiqh, distance is a problem, closing off is a problem, going low and going high is a problem. This will be coming over the next few weeks. Like, what is the meaning, what's the definition of a group of people who are higher than the imam? What does that mean? Is that part of a congregation? Is that one or not? This never used to exist before. This is all modern stuff, right? Uh, in the Muslim world, you just increase the space. You'd never go up. The only up that I know of, yeah, historically, and I, I stand to be corrected, is the imam on a, on, a, on a podium, on a platform, right? I don't know of the precedence of them being multi-floors. I'd love to be corrected on that. The whole concept of mosques, Kaaba, Haram, big gatherings, was just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but not having multiple floors. Obviously, that requires a technology and an effort. And so, as I said, it's the ethnics that introduced that. Um, in the industrial age, industrialization of the world would probably have introduced a bit of that as well, you know, maximizing space. And so therefore introducing floors. That'd be interesting to look into. Um, but normally the issue was, can the imam, is it allowed for the imam to be higher than the musallin? Now, exclusively, that's not an issue at all, is can males or females, the musallin, be underneath or whatever? And then eventually they got over and they said, well, you know, it is what it is. What's the difference as long as they don't get in front of the imam? But there's still a discussion to be had. Now, if you're putting people up and above and whatever, you see, once you sign off on something like that, the next part then is easy. So if you've signed off on a woman be taking the top floor, then it's quite simple to then say, right, um, we'll have a wall there. Well, no, you wouldn't start there. You'd say, I have a glass there, the perspex glass, or I have only half glass, or I have full glass because we can hear them, and we've got the kids and whatever, whatnot. Yeah? And then that's moved on swiftly now to having open balcony areas so that they can feel part of the jama'ah, and then, you know, closed off rooms like are properly, properly closed off. Right? Intentionally so. Like, we want you to be closed off because we want it to be soundproof and keep your kids in there. These are all cultural ideas. Right? Like my approach is, is there's no such thing as a, a closed off uh, uh, yeah, section in a masjid, right? It's similar to the shopkeeper situation, actually. What do the shopkeepers are praying for? That I don't have to go anywhere, and I'm hoping that it gets so busy that the line reaches me. Then I'm covered, right? So they're sitting there and they're hoping, and then somehow it might happen or not. I only think that the acceptable nature of a woman with her children in the mother-baby room at the back is only acceptable if it eventually gets filled up. If it doesn't, what have we justified? We go around cussing, you know, the Arabs, the Egyptians, the X, Y, and Z. If you walk into their masjids, you walk in, you think, what the fish is going on here? You've got two lines of the people at the front, and then you've got a line of people right at the back where the chairs are. Yeah? They leave like 15 lines in between. Two complete separate uh, 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 systems. It doesn't matter how much you emotionally justify to yourself. Well, this way protects the uh, the the surah, the the this 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 way of separating the chair people from the standing people pre preserves the heritage of the front line. We spoke about that, right? We don't want to see chairs and all this, that, whatever. You introduce a bid'ah to try to solve a bid'ah. The bid'ah that they've caused is that they use chairs instead of sitting on the floor. To solve that, 
they put the chairs to the back and push the people to the back. If they got rid of the first bid'ah, which is to be so dependent upon the chair and sat on the floor as is the sunnah and prayed, whether the entire prayer or not, okay, you stay where you are. There is no some sacred picture of the prayer line that needs to be preserved. Who told you that? Prayer line has all kinds of action going on. Yeah? And we don't need that to be preserved. And if there's a person that, that you know, is absolutely done, can't get up off the floor because he has nobody that can get him off the floor and no family and whatever, whatnot, and there needs to be a, the odd chair in, in the prayer line, so be it then. But because they don't like what they've created, and you get that, they've now made this pseudo row right at the back, and then that's why you have a whole line of people that are praying there all the time. Now, you tell me, when you, when you see that, first of all, it's a shock. What's the difference between that and the mother baby room with the kids at the back? Kids shouldn't be in the masjid, that's it. The mums shouldn't be bringing their children to the masjid. Right? You say that, then the whole situation goes ulta again. You see what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Anyway, so... Um, anyway, that's, that's for next week Let's finish off this week I don't know what we're doing next week So let's week, what's going on Mace is having a heart attack Right So uh, We're at the bottom of page 290 Just finishing off this whole point of Listen, uh, uh, if you can't stand to the right Then tell the next guy to come And, 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 uh, and uh, you know, come back And Sheikh Uthameen says Listen, the correct position on this issue Is that if the line's full You pray by yourself No problem End of story, okay? And there is the, the evidence for that, as he says at the po- top of page 291, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fear Allah as much as you can. And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها Allah does not burden a soul more than it can bear. And this person who can't find a place, what, what else is he going to do? But that, then he prays right there. As for some of the Hanbalis who said, no, you know what, in this scenario, because it's haram, because the Prophet said, don't do that again, pray alone in the, you know, by yourself, then you know what, we'll take that to heart, and that person should pray by himself in the jama'ah. So let him stand there, but pray alone, kind of thing. Right? And Shaykh Uthameen is like, like, come on. Okay, imagine we're telling all these people that because you came late, you can't join the congregation, and you've got to pray as an individual. No, we're not going to say that. Um, so let him pray alone in the uh, 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 let him pray alone by that that's fine and Sheikh says and anyway we already said that the, the vast majority of the people of knowledge have validated the prayer of the person who is praying alone by himself in the line by himself if he has a reason that reason is is because the line is full he doesn't have to climb over uh, everyone alright and that's, he goes, this is the balanced opinion. As opposed to saying that it's allowed all the time, and as, a, as opposed to saying it's never allowed, our middle opinion is, is that if there's a reason why the guy's praying alone by himself at the back, then his prayer is valid. Now, Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, وَلَغَالِبُ فِي أَقْوَالِ الْعُلَمَاءِ إِذَا تَدَبَّرْتَهَا أَنَّ الْقَوْلَ الْوَاسَطِ يَكُونُ هُوَ الصَّوَابِ He goes that if you look in general, the majority of the time, when you see a middle position between two kind of, he doesn't say extremes, but he says, like, someone saying that it's completely not allowed, someone saying it's completely allowed, you'll find that the middle position is actually the correct one. Not always is the middle position a correct position, but most of the time, it will be the correct one. And he goes, the reason for that is because most of the time, the middle position is taking evidences from there and evidences from there. It takes evidences from both sides. He goes, look at other areas and you'll see the same. He goes, for example, in Aqidah. He goes, in Aqidah, um, when it comes to the names and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the people divide it into two parties. So when it comes to the description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with respect to his attributes, you've got one party that went to one extreme and they made... They... they, um, uh, affirmed affirmed the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to such an extent that they almost humanized it. Or they did actually humanize it. So to, to really yani, hit home that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends or he rises or he whatever, to, 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 to explain that to people and to accept it themselves, they said just like a human 
goes up. And just like a human goes down. This is what we, what we call a tamthil. Tamthil, yani giving a, an, a human example. Giving real examples to make it make sense. I'm believing in that as well. Limiting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the human realm. وَطَرَفٍ أَغَلُّ فِي التَّنْزِيحِ فَنَفَوْهَا فَهَذَانْ طَرَفَانِ Then you got the other extreme that was so, so worried about the anthropomorphization. This is called anthropomorphic behavior. When you are taking the divine and making him or it human, right? They went the other extreme. So to protect the divine, they said nothing. That he doesn't move, he doesn't rise, he doesn't descend, he doesn't establish himself. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't get angry. Because if you say that, then you're making him human. So the only way that we can understand this is to deny it all. And this is called ta'atil. Right? That's the other bid'ah, the other extreme in aqeedah. He goes, the middle position, taking from both positions, is where Ahlul Sunnah are, is the correct position. What is that? that we will establish the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever he says that he does, without giving human examples. That's it. We won't say that he laughs like us, he has emotions like us, he's limited like us. He has these attributes, and it only increases the divine in excellence and perfection. We don't need to give a human example for it. We don't need to worry about the human expression. He goes, likewise, in the issue of qadr, of destiny, right, or fate, or predestination. You got two extremes and you got a middle. So you got one extreme that believed in qadr, established the qadr, and but went so far in establishing the qadr that they became who that they they said in al insana mujbirun ala fi'lihi wa laysa that it's already done. No point you trying to fight it. You're already written for what's going to happen. You're forced to go ahead. You're forced actually in what you, you are doing and you don't have any choice. So they remove free will and they say that, well, khalas, yani, if you're forced, then just let, let it flow then. You don't need to do any, any action because it's all been written down. That you've already been predestined for what you're going to do. So why are you putting any effort in? You don't have any free will. That was the first extreme. The second extreme is that they said, no, that that's impossible. Every single person has to be responsible for his action. Every single person is independent and individual and has complete and utter free will. And he is alone in his actions. There is no connection of the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this person. No connection. These are the two extremes. The middle position is who? The middle position is in al-insan lahu irada wa ikhtiyar fi fi'lihi person has the ability to intend to do something, has the choice to do something, either he does it, doesn't do it, says it, doesn't say it, he has the ability to leave something or to do something, he's, he's full in control, he has full agency. However, it's already written with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what's going to happen. He knows what you're going to do. There's a big difference between this position and the other two. You're not forced into acting. You have complete and utter free will, but Allah knows what your will is going to be. Alright, that's the middle position, taking from the evidences of both. That's the correct position. Then Sheikh said, وَفِي بَابِ الْوَعِيدِ In the issue of punishment. Okay. Uh, We've got, again, two extremes and then a middle position. So for example, you got one group that took the evidences and they made that the main thing. And they made it so negative so under threat, so under punishment that there's no hope for them. Right? So the, the, the threat and the anger and the punishment dominates to the level that hope is, there is no hope. That's it. And it's, it's, it's all over. Right? And you got the other ones that went so much on the hope side, which is very common today, right? Yeah, that's certainly the ones that are common today, that all of the negative side, it's like, doesn't exist. What do they call that? We were discussing this, not toxic positivity. We used to. What was, what was this? Uh, we were having this discussion that this is what all people are. 
it's like the don't judge me kind of thing. They don't, don't, don't want to hear any kind of accountability for their actions. Isn't there a catchphrase for this or, or, or a name for this kind of behavior? I'm sure we dead called it something. Toxic something or the whatever. What's happening here, by the way? This is 32 minutes ago. Huh? Ross. All this, man. I don't know. Anyway. I think toxic positivity, I think, describes it. Where it's just uh, po positivity just gets taken to this ridiculous level and that you only want to hear positivity and you can't deal with any negativity. That's, the, that, that's yeah, a similar point. So, what did uh, Sheikh says? So he goes, the first group, if you look what they did, all of the texts that talk about punishment and, and, and whatever, and all the texts that they, uh, they, 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 they made that the absolute asl, and they got rid of the texts that give hope. And as a result, anyone does a major sin, anyone falls into a major sin, that guy is written off. Hardcore. And they say that person is in the hellfire forever. There's no hope. You do like you steal or you do zina or whatever. It is game over. And no, nothing will help you. Neither is the ghafar, neither the intercession of another person or whatever, etc, etc, etc. That's it, it's finished. All right. Then you got a second, the, the, the opposite to them, and they went and they took the, 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 the ayat and the verses and the ahadith of hope, and they made it so, right, so dominant that they said, listen, don't worry. You know, the, 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 the Christian concept, basically, yeah? It's all love, and that's why Jesus sacrificed himself, so you do what you want, basically. And that's, of course, when you see the Muslim Christian debate, they debate on that exact point. I mean, why do you bother then? Yani, you know, if he's sacrificing, why do I bother there as well then? If you, I mean, it's good that you lot sacrificed him, yani, because then I can do what I want as well. He's, he died for our sins, right? So there are many expressions actually of this second extreme uh, group. So he says that, so therefore a person, they say, anyone who does a kabira, yani, he doesn't enter the fire, he doesn't get punished in the hellfire, they're all forgiven, they'll, they'll find a way out, whatever. And, and they will justify it and they'll say, the, the, as for the punishment, because they're not that stupid, right? They are still Sunni Muslims or whatever. They are, still believe in some kind of methodology. The ayat of punishment, they'll say, this is for the kuffar, not for the Muslims, right? And the middle group, well, Qisma Thalith, Sheikh says, they said that we'll take the evidences that speak about a threat of punishment and that... Uh, uh, and they will say that that person who does those actions, they will be punished. But the one who is punished will be under the will of Allah, under the Mashiach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The will of Allah, what does that mean? Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive anyone who associates partners with him. And other than that, he will, other than that, he will forgive whom he wills. Other than that, he will forgive whom he wills. This, of course, is the most important ayah in the Qur'an from a legal point of view in terms of iman and kufr. This shows that you fall into kufr, is game over, over, right? But if you don't fall into kufr, right, then it doesn't matter what major sin you do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives whom he wills other than the people who do shirk. This ayah is as clear as it gets. So they said that, therefore, uh, a person has hope, but if you fall into sin, you will be punished for it. But it doesn't mean it's game over for you. That's the middle way. Sheikh says, likewise with the family of the Prophet ﷺ, you have extremes and then you have a middle position. So some, they went to such an extreme with the family of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, that they even gave them divinity or divine qualities. Huh? Especially uh, some of the family and their, their children. Um, and that they control the universe and you know, they need to be uh, uh, worshipped. And, and that is there among some of the extreme Shi'i sects, Ismaili sects and Aga Khan and what kind of bagwas, yeah? Um, and he goes then, obviously, from this extreme, obviously there's a lot of shades in this extreme. The Rafida, which is the most common kind of form of Shi'a, belong to them in uh, form. Then you've got the exact opposite. They're called the Nawasid, right? And these people attack the, 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 the family of the Prophet ﷺ, right? And curse the family of the Prophet ﷺ. And insult the family of the Prophet ﷺ, okay? Uh, as I said, 
this group are known as the Nawasib, they are Khawarij basically, they're, 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 they're a sub kind of chapter of the Khawarij. Um, and of course the Khawarij, they are the ones who killed Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu an. So this is, you know, it's their line basically. And um, anyway, yeah. He goes, as for the, the, the middle position, the third group, which is in between, and that is that they, the, 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 people, the family of the Prophet Ahlul Bayt, the people of the house, have a right upon us. They are a special group of people unlike others. They have a right upon us. لَهُمْ حَقُّنَ عَلَيْنَا الْمُؤْمِنْ مِنْهُمْ لَهُ the believers from the house of the Prophet because there are some disbelievers as well, the believers of the family of the Prophet have the right of the believers upon us, all of the respect that they have, the rights that they have upon us, as well as the right of someone who's close to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, uh, specific. All right? Well, like, but we don't go to you know, lose our minds with them either, right? We don't worship them and we consider them to be untouchable and we don't hate them either. We don't consider that they are not accountable for their actions. If they are practicing the deen, they're good. If they're not practicing, then they're sinners. That's our belief. We don't think we feel that they're protected from anything, right? That's the middle position. Then Sheikh says, uh, likewise, in the names of um, uh, the concept of iman and deen, uh, the people differed into uh, 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 two camps. So one said, So for example, if a believer does a major sin, what do we call that person? Well, the Khawarij went to the extreme and said he's a kafir. person who does a major sin, they are kuffar. Okay? The opposite to the kuffar are the murji'ah. The murji'ah, their name, of course, it indicates where their position is from raja. They are so hopeful, they believe so much in this kind of mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this love concept, that basically you can do what you want. And if you do a kabira, it doesn't have any effect upon your iman. So the person who is a believer, who does absolutely everything that's right, and the one who is a sinner, if they do these uh, 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 sins, they're both the same. There's no impact of sin on that, on that, uh, uh, on that, uh, on that station. Alright? Their level. And as Sheikh says, he goes that even if a person who is, does a, uh, um, a sin, he's the same as Abu Bakr, his, his iman is the same as Abu Bakr, his iman is the same as Jibreel alayhi salam. So that's the murji'ah. And the, the people in the middle, of course, are saying that if a person does a sin, he's a mu'min fasiq, he's an evildoer, but he's a believer. We recognize what his original iman status is, but we also recognize his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is an, a mu'min a Muslim, but he's fasiq with respect to his uh, sin. Okay? Or his iman is deficient, he's weak, he's struggling, spiritually bereft, etc. etc. So he goes, you can see therefore just from these examples, let alone in fiqh, that the middle opinion that takes from the evidences of both sides will often be the correct opinion. Um, and and uh, he goes, anyway... As a summary, in our position, anyone who prays by themselves uh, behind the imam, okay, in a line by himself, because the prayer line is full, doesn't need to do anything. His prayer is valid. Doesn't need to come to the front, doesn't need to break the line, doesn't need to pull someone back, doesn't need to ask anyone. That person's prayer is valid because he had no other choice but to pray by themselves. Now that it's finished, you should see now how important it is to have. Uh, to complete lines. Look at all that discussion we've been discussing, discussing in the last few weeks. That's why, if you see all this back and forth, back and forth, just about people's lining position, and people are saying, yeah, you know what, I'm going to pray and flipping one mile up in the hotel, yeah, because I can see my panoramic flipping view of the, the grand that I'm paying for the hotel. You know, I'm paying a grand while we get the, the luxury of just staying here. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a, it's a problem. All right. And then, as, 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 I described at the, uh, as I described earlier on, for in then, and so if the guy prays by him, uh, if, if he makes the raka'ah by himself, right? Sorry. If he prays by himself for more than a raka'ah, and by himself, he means like separated from the jama'ah, when they could have taken their position in the saf, the prayer is invalidated. Imagine. 
Imagine yani, uh, this opinion and you see the people that come and pray at the back, for example, and all this kind of behavior. Yani, according to the Hanabila, the prayer is invalidated. So, anyway, Sheikh says, um, uh, like, like I said, if a person prays and does the, uh, goes into Ruqwa by himself, and then enters the, the Sof before the Imam finished the, uh, gets to the uh, Sajda, then the prayer is valid because he was not alone for more than a unit. You get the point? That's ultimately the, 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 the issue here. If he was able to get to the congregation, able to get into the, to the Sufuf before that actually happens, he's fixed it. He's actually been able to catch the congregation for the majority of the prayer. And that's it. That's how they that's how they correct it. Okay? And Sheikh makes a point here. He goes, Well, the real problem here that we have with this position is that the author doesn't make it clear that is this a case when there's an excuse or no excuse. And he makes it the same. He doesn't say to us that, but if the person has an excuse, what's the excuse when we say this? We say the excuse is that the line is full. For him, he goes, no, if the line is full or not full, it doesn't make it clear. Now, later, Hanabila made it clear. And Ibn Taymiyyah, as I said, his position is the, is the, is the one that many humblies today take, and it's the class position as well. And that is that if there's an excuse, there's no doubt about it, it's okay. If there's an excuse, the line is full and you're by yourself, then it doesn't matter. And actually, our class position, because I've covered this now a number of times, I'm not, not going to go into this again, um, is that there is no such thing as having to worry about catching half a raka'ah or before the sajda of the imam or whatever. Don't make it complicated. Keep it simple. You, if you can't get into the line because it's full, you should not need to worry about any length of the prayer you're praying by yourself. You can pray the whole entire prayer all alone by yourself. However, if the prayer line in front of you has gaps and you don't go into it, then that's a problem. And if you do pray more than a raka'ah like that while seeing those gaps, obviously, if you didn't know, that's something else. But you see those gaps and you're not going in to fill it and you're choosing intentionally to pray separate to the people, then there's no doubt that if you pray more than raka'ah, your prayer is invalid. And that's our class position. Now, and on that, we'll, uh, that's, that's basically uh, done, actually. Uh, that's done. We're now on page 296 and that's a brand new section which I think we'll cover next week. I want to just mention a few things, actually, about this, and then maybe take some questions. From this, if you think about it, you get the... Um, you also start to feel how important the actions of individuals are on affecting the, the feel and the vibe of the jama'ah. Right? So that's why, if you've understood... If you've understood basically what's going on here, you'll answer a whole other raft of questions. For example, should you uh, come to the masjid and sit at the back, for example, if you've prayed that prayer? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So the answers that you're seeing here will help answer those questions. Because if you see how sensitive we are to a person who's choosing to pray by himself, where actually... You know, they're looking at the line and they didn't see. Like, like today, just now, when I came for Isha, the back line, which is about one, two, three, four, five. There were five lines that were full. We've only got seven lines in this masjid, yeah, at the moment. Five, new, 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 new ones only got four, right? Bloody women took ten, right? We're having a discussion on Telegram about 50-50. Have you seen it? 50-50 equal access. So can you put some paper out or some bakwas? Yeah, they're all chatting. Yeah, yeah. And some of the girls are like, no, no, we don't need 50-50. We just need nice. Our lot came, took 70-30, and they got the roof and the high ceilings as well. Left us under the flipping, the bunker. You know what I made them do as part of the design? I made them put a cutout so that we can actually even see the roof. Just like... <laughs> can we have a little bit, please? Otherwise, the plan was that, you know... Closed roof, and then they're above, and whatever. So I said, no, do a little cut off yani, at the front of the imam so they can see, right? And don't seal it so they can be part of the thingy. It's our only light to the top, by the way. 
What did we do, Yara? Anyway, so five lines were full. And the sixth line had three people. When I arrived for Isha, and I caught the first rakah. Yeah, as I stood for their thingy, I looked to the end. You can't see it very easily, isn't it? And at the end, there was a tight single space. Very easy to miss. Very easy to miss. And when I went up there, I took that position right at the end of the fifth row. And the sixth one remained with the three, right? And now if you imagine that three people, that would have started with one person who stood there. That person not staying there by himself intentionally. He's doing that because he's looked at the line and it's considered to be whatever. The people who've come have not bothered checking, but they've seen the guy and they're putting their trust that this guy has already done the, you know, scouted it out. And, uh, you know, job's done and just stand next to him. And that's why you never, ever trust the Pakis. You've got to check yourself. Now this, of course, if you ever go to the Haram, you know, both actually, Haramain, Medina, Mecca, it's a complete catastrophe. Right? Never, ever. You see, this is why this area of fiqh has to be nuanced. We have to have nuance here. Right? Because never, ever, ever, ever is it full. Never. Like there's no exception to this. Never. Now, okay. Thank you very much for that fact. What are you going to do about it? You can't do so much about it. Because you can get through, that's fine. But you then spend the rest of your entire prayer just walking and walking and walking and filling in gaps. Which goes to show that this normative type of fiqh cannot be applied in certain scenarios. We just got to know this is just not going to happen here. We just can't. Because people ask me all the time, do we need to fill the gap? Absolutely, you got to fill the gap. How many? I say a couple of times, that's it. A couple of steps, that's it. Yeah, but I can see. Well, listen, you can always see. You can keep walking and keep walking and keep walking. You will be able to do that for your entire prayer. And then what's the point of that? So that's why when we discuss what is a congregation, is it completely continuous, whatever, there is nuance there. There is nuance. Now you've got even political factors now because obviously uh, Saudis are uh, putting this out to uh, fran uh, not franchise, uh, they tender out the problem to different uh, companies in the West that give them the concept of Crowd control, Americans that are do American sporting events, Brits that were involved with their sporting events to try to understand flow and flow dynamics and space and whatever. They've spent absolute tens of millions of pounds on the Hajj and whatever. So you know when you look down and you see the stupid massive gaps that they've made with barriers, don't think there's some Bandu Yani that has done that. They've got all these papers that are supporting that. Right? Gotta be the stupidest papers on the planet. But it is meant to be academically supported, the idea that we're going to create a gap here, then as soon as the prayer is finished, then we open up the barriers and let it flow. I haven't seen any difference between any of the systems. But the point is, is that now you've got that into the mix. Between now an authority-driven authority gap that you yourself don't agree with, so should you break that authority and go forth, or should you just accept the authority and say, well, I'm forgiven, it's their problem. You see what I'm trying to say? This is, there's multi-factors going on in making these uh, decisions. And Allah knows best. All right, let's do some uh, questions. Yeah, go on. Uh, we haven't really covered, you just mentioned now, a tight gap at the end of a row. Yeah. It's a judgment call. It is a judgment call. You're not obliged to kill yourself in the prayer. And the guy, he's not obliged to make himself, you know, tight. Now, that's the theory. In practice, what's the score? In a normal prayer, the Prophet ﷺ has made a general statement that applies everywhere. As I said, uh, those that are best in shoulder, those that are giving space and opportunity to other people, helping them, yani, this is part of the, the ethics of the prayer. However, there seems to be a natural limit we didn't see the Prophet ﷺ make this, this statement for Fajr and for Dhuhr and for Asr. Yet, for the Jum'ah prayer, to pray even on the legs of the people, or sajda, on the legs of the people who are behind, like on the hamstring basically, on the Achilles rather, I should say, because you don't have any space for sajda, so you're actually on their heels, is, is, is something which is acceptable by the fuqaha. Because it's meant to be packed. And you're meant to, you know... I told you before, I, I say that to all people all the time who are next to me in, in khutbah, uh, sorry, in Jum'ah prayer, 
and they irritate me. You know, I try to be as calm as possible, but if they moan so much, where they're not moving, whatever, and they tell the other one, where am I going to make sajda? Where am I going to pray? You know, they're selfish people. I said, bro, if you come fajr, honestly, I promise you all the space in the world, bro. This ain't a, your luxury prayer. This ain't the prayer that you go to enjoy. This is a functional reality. You're there to be reminded, yeah, I need to make you stop doing all the rubbish you've been doing all week. Get a little bit of a, yeah, I need slap down. And you're lucky even to put your, your head on the floor. That's it. This ain't no, yeah, you know, chill out on two-man space and luxury carpets and whatever, whatnot. You come to Jum'ah to get dirty, to be knackered, to hear a message. It's a different ball. You're going to have a different mindset. So, um, that also needs to be taken into account. So when you come to a normal prayer, you don't need to put yourself through jumping into a tight gap. That's not meant to be the, the, normality, the normal position of a normal prayer. But in a Jum'ah, you wouldn't have that standard. You'd lower the standard because it's a new set of uh, uh, rules. All right, let's just take this by thingy. We'll take it from the top. Yeah, uh, uh, guys, if you don't have your question answered uh, because you asked it early, then you write it again. Sid says, are you accountable if you wa want to walk forward to fill in a gap and the stewardess... Stewardess? What are we missing here? We're on a plane or are we in a masjid, bro? Sick. Female guards, eh? that's what we call them. Stewardess, she's been polite, isn't it? And the stewardess refuses to let you and tells you to stay where you are. And there's no doubt about it. If you is someone telling you, you stop right there, they take the responsibility and khalas. That's it. Not a problem. We have a gap. Which way does one move towards the right to fill the gap? Um, yeah, basically, when it comes to a gap, it's inwards. So if you're on the left, you go inwards. And if you're on the right, you go inwards. That's the basic principle. It's not meant to go outwards. Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, what if I'm going forward and filling gaps, but at some point it's too hard to go? This is my point. There's a natural thing. There, there are certain things that don't have an Islamic limit. Common sense has to come in. Yeah, when it starts getting a bit crazy, it starts getting a bit silly. Like I'll add another one. At some point, we have to make a decision, especially Masjid Nabawi, for example, that we leave the lines in between the uh, pillars, for example. So the pillars are quite wide, and so what you find in between the pillars is enough space only for five or six people, right? Now, if we are going to always assume that this needs to be filled, you're actually adding the need for more movement. You get my, my point? Whereas if you were to naturally say to yourself, it's okay actually for that to be in gaps because people shouldn't be there in the first place, because that's the line that you'll find most gaps in. You'll often find two people standing with two spaces behind it. You've got, an, you've, got an, an, you've got options there now. You either say to yourself, man, that's got to be filled up. Or you say to yourself, these two shouldn't be standing there in the first place. You get my point? I'm not going to join them because they shouldn't be there. If they hadn't been there, we wouldn't have this problem in the first place. We've got bigger fish to fry, which is the complete lines that should be filled. So that's why these realities mean you shouldn't overreact in these matters. And don't put it upon yourself, I have to fill that gap. Someone could argue, that's not a gap, they shouldn't be in there in the first place. Give my point? So that flexibility is needed in the fiqh approach of this. Yeah. Yeah, always when a line is, is made, the center means behind the imam. Right? And that's where you stand when you join the prayer. Never to the side. You stand behind the imam, and then the line basically goes like that. One to the left, one to, until it equal, whatever. Now, if gaps occur, close in. I don't think so. Listen, in Jum'ah prayer, when things get busy, everything goes. Everything and anything. Everything and anything. Jum'ah is as flexible as it get, gets. Everyone praying absolutely anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Different levels. One foot up, one foot down. Yeah. Bro, come on. Most of the Jum'ahs you pray in a masjid like this, you're not uh, making such towards the thing. You're making such like this. Right? You, your knees go down right straight. But because there's so little space, you're putting your head to the left of the heels in front. Right? Or to the right. You can't put it in front because the, the, the line has been reduced. 
like almost like a janaza level kind of uh, lines, right? And I'm a big fan of that. I think that's what should happen. So you see what happens in masjids is that they tell everybody to take a step forward. It's not enough. Clearly it's not enough. In my opinion, we should take half the line forward, double the capacity, and every single person in the Jum'ah prayer, you see, this is what people are not wanting to do. People want to have that luxury experience. And so, like I told you before, you have a bid'ah, and then you create a bid'ah to solve it. And now, the word bid'ah might be harsh, but if you knew how strict the scholars were against the second Jum'ah, like, what they were like, what's, what's the second Jum'ah? Right? Like, what even is that? There's no such thing in Sharia or in fiqh of a second Jum'ah. Because what happens in Jum'ah? Obviously, we're talking, you know, Muslim country and all the rest. First of all, all the mosques have to close. And there's only one place in the town, the Jami', the main masjid that does Jum'ah. If you go from ethnic things, you know that's what happens. You can't go to your local musalla, you've got to go to the big mosque. So, the whole point is to gather all the people. And it's the biggest place, and people are bringing their musallas and they're all praying outside. That's the whole point. Now, that could theoretically happen even in Western places in mosques like this, but people want convenience and want to, you know. And I'm not saying it's haram, but you see how we've created a solution for ourselves because we're not willing to do what we should be doing, which is half all the lines, people are sitting for most of it, so it doesn't matter, does it? Then it's only two raka'ah. Notice that? Two raka'ah only. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to be fine in the standing part. Ruku is going to be a little bit, you know, a little bit at an incline. But no major, some people are short, they won't even have a problem. In sajda though, you're going to have an issue. In sajda, the sunnah is for people to put their feet together, so you've got a gap there and a gap there, and a gap there and a gap there. So people's, and that's the whole point. It's not meant to be a comfortable, straight, relaxed prayer. So, because people are not wanting, people want to sit on chairs, not want to sit on the floor, because people want maximum space for, we've created our own problems. Yeah? Uh, what did Imam say about the shopkeepers praying away from the Jama'ah? He said it's not allowed. In some, in some uh, places, he said that their prayer is invalid. In other, prayer, in other places, he said it's against the Sunnah. In other places, he said they, they're not allowed to do it, like haram. Not, going, not making it clear whether that's invalid prayer or, or not. On what basis do they invalidate that prayer? They said that the, straight, the, the, the being part of the lines and straight lines is an obligation in the prayer. And because it's an obligation in the prayer, not one before it. It started before it, but needs to continue. They said if an obligation in the prayer is not maintained intentionally, then it is invalidated. I was in a clock tower in Mecca, and uh, Maghrib was a few minutes away. The elevator was so slow, it was impossible to get down. So my group went to one of the balconies and prayed there with the congregation. I felt really bad. What do you think? I think that's bad, yeah. I think that's bad. That's another act of desperate people, right? Why? If you have to miss the jama'ah because you've got to walk, then you're going to the haram, there's a million jama'ahs that are going to occur. You know what I'm trying to say? And it's just the act of desperate people. If people knew and full confidence with knowledge that I'm getting the reward, whatever happens. It's not my fault that the, 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 the... That's why I hate the clock tower. Clock tower is like death. They're waiting for those lifts, getting in those lifts. It's crazy. So... Yeah, and if that's something which out of your control that happens, you should know I tried my best. I went on a reasonable time and I missed the jama'ah. I'm going to go in, I'm going to pray by myself. Or I'm going to pray with somebody else. But when people become so unnaturally attached to just yeah, catching something, that's when they do actions like Abu Bakr did, which is make ruku'ah over there and then join. The Prophet said, don't do that again. You know what I'm trying to say? These hadith, they have a wider implication on the way that we understand things. Right. It seems to me that you invalidly have answered that, right? How do we deal with the present-day phenomenon of groups within Ahl Sunnah, each claiming to be on the middle path and accusing each of the other of being extreme when they're actually not? Yeah, that's the only million-dollar question. It's ultimately down to your teachers and, and you know, your own common sense, frankly. I know, speaking of second Jum'ah, I know that if I'm in a masjid and I already prayed, I need to pray twice. Staying from the, for example, staying from Maghrib till Isha when it's raining. I know that if I'm in the masjid and I already prayed, I need to pray twice. Does that apply to second Jum'ah as well? Often I stay in the masjid, it's also a community center, during both Jum'ah. 
So I don't want to make a habit of praying two Jumu'ahs every Friday. No, no, no. Uh, the point is where are you sitting? If, like if you're sitting out of the way of the people, then that's something else. And in modern Islamic centers where admin staff are or whatever, that's very different. Again, this is about perception. Nobody looks at the trustee, not the trustee, the volunteers, for example, of a masjid and says to them, why is that guy not praying? You get my point? Everybody knows that that person's not meant to be praying. So, you know, and if there's a person who's there because of other reasons, like you're there all the time, then it's different. Again, nuance. The way that Jama'ah is filled for Jama'ah, is it the same atmosphere for the Taraweeh Salah, as, it, as in people should be packed and not look for comfort? That's controversial, right? Because is the Taraweeh even a Sunnah in the Jama'ah, right? Is it even an act that, that, that we should be thinking? It's not. Certainly, we don't have hadith that are emphasizing it. In fact, the opposite. In fact, the opposite. Um, so, no, I don't think that taraweeh falls into the Jumu'ah kind of category. What hadith are they blazing? All of the ones that we said establishing the prayer line. Istaw wa tarasu, atim mustaf al awal fal awal. Atim is an obligatory statement. The Prophet said, fill the gaps, otherwise Allah will cause division between your hearts, which is haram. Anything that's being said. To avoid haram is obligation, etc., 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 etc. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Alright? Uh, this weekend, guys, anyone who's in Northwest, especially local folks here, make sure you don't miss the class, Al Maghrib class this weekend. Uh, Sheikh Sa'ad Taslim is here to teach deception uh, Friday night as well. Uh, Salford University, al Maghrib.org slash deception or slash Manchester. Slash Manchester. Al Maghrib. Huh? Deception as well. Al Maghrib.org slash deception um, so that's uh, this weekend what else what else what else no class here on uh, on site next weekend uh, next week sorry next on wednesday but online it will be the same time can we make it earlier um and i think that's it anything else we need to say Barakallahu feekum wajzakum wa khair subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilaik wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Hey, what?